This is exactly right. Heads up, Murnerinos. We've got a big announcement coming next week that you're going to want to hear first. So keep your eyes glued to your social media at all times, day and night, to be the first to find out our breaking news. And in the meantime, you can go check out our brand new merch store at myfavoritemurdermerch.com and shop all of our brand new designs and, of course, a selection of our classics. That's myfavoritemurdermerch.com. Big things are happening, people. Bye. Knock the whole table and over. Down a bunch of books. Hi. <laughs> Hi. This is so weird to be sitting this way at the bookstore that I usually am at this way at. If my face in a book, deciding if I want to. You're more sideways. Yeah. What I'm saying is here. It's on now. <laughs> Sorry. What I'm saying is this is my bookstore, and I'm really excited to be talking at it in a microphone. Well, welcome to Skylight Books, Georgia. Thanks, guys. Um, welcome, everybody. We are thrilled when Patton asked us to moderate is a very weird word for this, but to come and, and kind of co-host this with them. Uh, of course, we were thrilled. I knew Michelle, and um, we both uh, were huge fans of uh, True Crime Diary and the work that she has been doing and, and did for True Crime and for you know being an online sleuth and the East Area Rapist. Uh, ultimately Golden State Killer case. She's put in so much incredible work technically and then to read this book uh, just for me the the level of writing in this book is so incredibly impressive and it's like you I, when i read true crime you kind of expect a, a certain a certain tone it's mostly factual informational you know with a little bit of like color Michelle this book reads to me like fine literature and I'm just so impressed I'm so proud of her it's such an exciting thing that this book exists right now so we're very proud to be a part of this I mean I don't know yeah it's <laughs> it's uh I don't know it's a thing it's I feel like we're more we're holding space for this book and this effort and this body of work that that someone really dedicated their whole life to and so it's really an honor to be here with you guys tonight to be uh, talking about this book so I guess I don't know yeah right so <laughs> so I think now we'll bring out Patton Oswalt and um Billy Jensen and Paul Haynes who um, helped finish the book. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, um, this, is, uh, this is Billy Jensen. Uh, he was a journalist friend of Michelle's, and Paul Haynes was Michelle's researcher, referred to in the book as The Kid. The kid. This is The Kid. <laughs> yeah, there he is. So, yeah, and, and, and I'm bringing them here because they live here. And a lot, a lot of these book tours, I wasn't able to take them with me. And my function, as you will see, will be to talk about Michelle and to talk in very um, kind of subjective 
uh, quasi poetic terms about what happened and then go and Billy and Paul could you please explain it like they actually have technical facts and and updates as to what is actually still going on with the case so this we're very very lucky to have them here tonight so so thank you guys I really appreciate it so yeah it's very exciting yes. yeah should we just get right to the updates just tell <laughs> yeah. it did they catch him well okay you you were talking when we did the event we did an earlier event in LA uh, that there was a a possible lead, and and by the way, before I get him started on this, this ends in frustration again. But there was a very strong possible lead uh, that that led from them looking at a a fence he vaulted over, in which they discovered that the other side of the. I'll let Paul, Billy take Paul, Billy Paul and Paul can take this yeah. over. Yeah. Um, so. You know, when you actually visit the crime scenes, you have a different perspective than you would have looking at them from like the bird's eye view on Google Maps. And uh, one of the investigators in Sacramento um, had visited the scene of, I believe, the 28th uh, rape. And he realized that the offender leaving the scene would have had a steep drop and likely wouldn't have been able to gauge um, the steepness of it in the dark because there were, the lighting conditions weren't conducive to that. And, um, you know, an injury would have likely resulted from the offender's escape from that scene. And incidentally, three days later, there was an individual who presented himself at the American River Hospital in Carmichael with a broken shoulder. And he claimed it was a, an on-the-job injury, and he provided a false name, provided a, a false social security number from multiple uh, stolen identities. And once it became evident that the hospital staff was suspicious of this individual, he fled. And um, this was a lead that wasn't really followed up on until like three months ago. And it was determined that the hospital intake employee had since passed. So it's a dead end. Yes, there's a lot of uh, stuff like that of, oh, we, that, you know, we're following this thread and then you just hit a wall, you know. And what she uh, really, really recreates in, in the book the, the, the sensation of these cops who, oh my God, this looks so good. We're going to, and then. You hit this wall, and then you got to, you have to recover from the disappointment of not only did, did that not pan out, but by pursuing that, I've given this killer another two, three month lead, yet a further head start because I just followed the wrong lead. Yeah, and, and, and in a twisted way, that's the way you know we talked about this last time. As we we talk about these suspects that we have, and we all have certain suspects that we like, and the suspect list is, is uh, especially that was in Michelle's computer was a thousand people. But there was ones that she liked, and that's how you refer to them. Do you like this guy? Does this guy look good? And it's almost like you're falling in love with this suspect. Yeah. When it doesn't pan out, uh, it's your your heart gets broken to a certain extent, and you get you go into a very dark place. And we've all been there with whether it's uh, a, a lead that doesn't pan out in, in one of my other investigations. And Michelle certainly, I've been you know I've had Michelle come when we were going to have drinks, and like the first thing she said was I solved it, you know, and then it just didn't didn't work out. Yeah, and eventually you get jaded, and yeah. eventually but you get jaded. But she never once it, that would only really last like a day, maybe a day for her. I think I never really so. I mean, I wasn't with her every day, but she was always just right back up there and been like, all right, you know, because there's always going to be, and especially in this case, there was always another lead to, to follow. It wasn't yeah. like every dead end actually was not a dead end. It just turned around and then led to another path. Yeah. I know. I felt so frustrated in the book when it was like uh, explaining someone that was looked very, very good for the case. And then the DNA wouldn't, the simple little thing and everything else on paper was a hundred percent. That was the person. And 
you know, you start wanting to not believe DNA, which is insane. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's just, I mean, I can't imagine. Can't we bring back alchemy and, <laughs> and, and reading entrails and watching how birds yes. fly? What's wrong with that? It, it, you, you said, again, that language of finding a suspect that you, it is, it is the exact same language as an early crush. Where you're like, hey, I, I li- I'm liking this guy. He's looking good. He's good. And then when the, when a piece of evidence will come up that exonerates him, they will use phrases like, he blew it. He blew it. I was so into him, and he blew it. Yeah. Like it, it was the same. You know, he showed up wearing a a maga hat. I was into him, and he blew it. You know, oh, he, he said he asked somebody else to the prom, and yeah, he forgot. Yeah, yeah it was. Oh, it was right there. He blew it. So you know that that kind of you have to get that emotionally involved. And yeah, I mean, I remember very specifically some very rough mornings for her, where she'd be at her laptop crying because. I just, this has gone nowhere, or very, very bad late nights of a lot of brooding. But like you said, after a couple of days, she would, okay, who's next? She would open the files again and let's go back into them. And it was, I don't know where she got that energy or, or where she got that fortitude to keep doing that, even though it was getting chipped away like that. You know? Well, it also seems like in reading it, because I went to college in Sacramento, and the way, you, like, you could so tell that she went there and spent time there. Oh, yes, she yeah. did. those descriptions are so fucking laser accurate. When, the fact that she mentioned day on the green, she like, being a teenager in the 70s in Sacramento meant you went to the river, you drank beer at the levee. What? Mm-hmm. You fucking <laughs> went to day on the green in Oakland or whatever. Like all these things where as a, you know, at the time I was seven in California, they were teenagers, but that, that she, it was so concise. It was so insanely accurate where I think part of it, it seems to me was the research was her passion. So getting back into it as disappointed as she would get it, that was almost the salve is like, but now there's this file to go through. Yeah. And, and, and you, you mentioned, yeah, that, that the actual physical going to the place and driving around and and feeling the air and what it feels like in the summer versus what it feels like in the winter. Very early on on True Crime Diary, there was a murder up in Jenner on the beach, mm-hmm. and which a couple was on the beach. They were making out. A guy walked down and shot them with a rifle. So when you're, you, you envision this thing in your mind of, oh, yeah, you, he walked down to the beach with a rifle. But then she drove up to Jenner and went <laughs> down to that beach. That beach was extremely rocky, very, very hard to get. I mean, she almost like fell and hurt herself getting down there. She goes, and I was not carrying a heavy hunting rifle. Then she went and checked out what the rifle was he would have used. It's ex- insanely heavy. So it totally changed her perception of what the crime was about. Oh, no, this wasn't a guy that randomly wandered down and shot people. This was a outdoorsy, planned, knew what he was. So I think that really stayed with her of let's always drive, walk, look at the crime scene, talk to the locals, find out, you know, and find out from that time. She would... I remember she would drive through Irvine and Goleta and she would make she would make iPod mixes of the songs that would have been on the radio in those years oh to and, and and one time we were coming back from uh, Santa Barbara and she stopped and drove and it was Dan Folgerberg and the Neat Eagles and just like I want and, and, and it made all those songs kind of sinister yeah like, they driving are around. yeah well Dan Duncan Hotel California is the scariest <laughs> yeah. song of all time yeah Dan, Dan Folgerberg has some Fogelberg has some darkness in him that people do not talk about he was on so much coke leader of yeah. the band is tired yeah it, he is tired he very and, and you know it's hard to say why it's hard to say so tired? Um, but yeah but she would get to that and you realize like oh the, like everything contributed to what ended up happening you know the the movies that were 
that were there, the, the catchphrases that were in people's heads. It, she wanted to be totally absorbed in that time. Well, and I, I think that work, it so shows in this book, because I think it's like it's easy when you like true crime or you read it or you're kind of this like a participant. Mm -hmm. For me, it's so easy to sit, sit back and be like, well, that's ridiculous. They didn't test that thing or all that weird judgy shit where when you actually go out and do the things that cops had to do. I mean, she was really actually walking the walk, yeah, which yeah. is the so coolest. Much, you know, we, yes. we, we, have a, we have a tool right now, especially as citizen detectives, if anybody has ever tried to look into their own cases, of using Google Maps and using Google Street View, and you can walk through. But the one thing that you don't get is depth. And that's what you wouldn't be able to get that when she was looking at, at the uh, the Jenner case. She wouldn't be able to get that when the um, uh, uh, with the possible lead of the guy jumping and then hurting his shoulder. You have to be able to do that, and that's so important. Uh, when you go see scenes that you've that you've only seen pictures of, and you're actually there, everything just really looks really small. Everything's small. Everything's a lot more condensed and closer together. But you really get that sense of depth, and it gives you a whole new perspective on what everything is about. Yeah, yeah. that's true. We went uh, when we were in Boulder for a show. We went and drove, of course, by the uh, the Ramsey house, and, mm -hmm. and it is tiny. Yeah. You don't realize how close everything is, and someone had to have heard something, and, you know, it's just... If she were here, she knew every single thing about the JonBenet Ramsey case. <laughs> she knew all of the... She knew all the online slang, BDI, Burke did it. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she knew the uh, slang, uh, pineapple was part of the slang. Um, the, and, and I remember her saying, she, she said, that ransom note is the Citizen Kane of ransom notes. No <laughs> ransom note is more than a page long. Like that, that should have put nothing but alarm bells up. People were like, yeah, they just wrote a long ransom note. No one does that. No one, page two. Yeah. Furthermore, yeah. we, like, no, I don't do that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now that the body is five feet away from me, I start to realize. No. I'm sent back to my youth in the Boy Scouts. I remember those days. You know, no one does that. So there was all these, I mean, she, there were these books that she would, I mean, a, a book that she was really, really, she would read over and over again was Robert Graysmith's Zodiac book because it's a fascinating read because it's a fascinating case, but it's also, it's, it's a version of I'll Be Gone in the Dark where he's not aware of how obsessed he is. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, in this book, I think Michelle is very, very aware of she is going to some weird areas here. And she even says that the same drive that makes this guy go and stalk people and murder people is what drives me and these cops to keep pursuing him no matter what. And and she said the Zodiac book by Robert Graysmith is a fascinating book because it's a case study of the writer more than it is of the crime. But the writer doesn't realize he's writing it. He doesn't realize he's giving you an autobiographical case study of his unhingedness. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really cool. That's the feeling that I had um, when I first saw that picture of the town hall meeting at the high school. Oh, boy. I, I looked at every fucking yes. man's face in that picture. He's there. He's there, and it's, the faces are so small. It was a, it was a town, if people, I'm sure you all know, but the people that don't know, they finally had a town hall meeting to get everybody together. At the town hall meeting, there was a man who said, I can't believe this is happening. No man would let somebody come in their house and then a couple months later, later. I believe um, the uh, 
Easterly rapist hit that house and that family. Came after him and his wife. Him and his wife, and they were victims. So they know for a fact he was at this town hall meeting. What if it was a coincidence? It could have been. It could have been. been. Have you ever been to Sacramento, though? (laughs) (laughs) That's what's so crazy. That's all we had to do then was town hall meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sacramento is L.A. with no show business. (laughs) Just picture that. Just imagine that in your head. No, nothing exciting or glamorous. Okay, but but what you're just saying there, that is, if you go to these certain towns, each town has a personality, and then it will help you to understand, like, wait a minute, that I don't think that was a coincidence because of how that, you know, like, it it changes your view of the crimes, and it's, you know, it's kind of fascinating that way. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was doing my reading at uh, Powell's for this book, they told me, I'm sure they've told you this too, or maybe you'll be told this. <laughs> Whenever they, when, I, when, I, when I did readings for my other books, I'm just kind of in the round talking, but when I was doing this book, they had me sitting against a wall because whenever there's readings for true crime books, there are plainclothes cops in the audience and they photograph the crowd because because in the past, whenever Ann Rule has done readings there, they would photograph the crowd way back in the day and the Green River Killer would be at almost ah, all the readings. So they, isn't this what we came for yeah, tonight? So they, right there. Look so, around. Yeah, so they, yeah, exactly. But they will photograph the crowd. And I was like, are there guys here tonight? They're like, well, don't worry about that. But there were, because, but any true crime reading, they photograph the crowd at Powell's. Because the Pacific Northwest is, you know, Disneyland for serial killers. So do they make sure. So when you guys, when your book comes out and you go on tour, take a look at your crowd at Powell's because who knows? <laughs> it's going to be all these girls with awesome hair and dresses and then some guys. Yeah, just a lot of Four guys with their arms yeah. crossed. Hi. <laughs> so yeah, that that kind of eeriness is you know it. it, it I, I hate to bring up Joan Didion, but the, but there <laughs> is it. that you have to. It, there is there's that that thread of darkness in the suburbs, and God damn it, it's there. The reason it's a cliche is because it's fucking true. Well, and it's, it's in it's, my experience, it's never been truer than the suburbs of Sacramento because oh, yeah. Sacramento go it just goes on and on and on. You can get in your car and drive for four hours and still be in Sacramento. It's like a fucking science fiction show on TNT that you don't want to watch. And also when you get out into those Carmichael-y suburbs, those houses, it's you don't know one house from the next. It's probably slightly different now, but mm-hmm. like uh, it, it just had that, that was part of the feel, right? Is like you're going out away from your job, away from the city to like that's, escape. That's what's so, I think that's what's so interesting about this case is like, we all know that there's something in the places that he picked that tell who he is because Ir- where I'm from, Irvine randomly, where a couple of the cases or the attacks happened and murders and it's the same fucking thing and I think she described it and I almost started crying as like, there's, it's just a, three shades of beige in yeah. this this city and it totally is and these these like uh boring ranch style houses and what you know one story and it's just it you it there are these places that are supposed to feel safe and contained and he brought this insane crazy scary nightmare to it Almost on purpose, you know, to what? scare everyone. I think on purpose. Yeah. yeah well, what was the? Hang <laughs> on, you, sure. yeah, I'm not sure what that, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. That was me bringing the nightmare was yeah, incidental yeah. to me. I just wanted to have something to eat, and then oh, I just love to stack um, plates. <laughs> you okay? They were just mentioning what? What do you th- that idea that what was there something about these houses or this yes. landscape yeah. that pulled that out of him that made like 
Well, Has that ever been thought of? Or obviously, I, I, think, I think definitely. I mean, Paul can speak to you know. There's there's two main areas where we really focused on in part three, uh, which is where we think this thing can be solved, and that's DNA and particularly familial DNA. Um, we think the answer is there. It's it's in a database someplace, and it's just a couple clicks away. It's just a matter of whether we can get to it or not. And then there's um, geographic profiling. And you know the idea of what this guy was. This guy wasn't, and Michelle believed this as well. This this guy this wasn't about sex for this guy. You know, this was about power. And it was about taking somebody that is in their most comfortable state, their most safest state, which is they probably moved out of the city and they're in the suburbs and they're in their house right. and they're in a bed next to their, their man who's protecting them with a loaded gun in the house. But meanwhile, they don't know that he had snuck in and undid the gun and did all this other stuff. You can't get more evil and, and, and diabolical than that. And I think a lot of that did have to do with the power of it is that you think you're safe, you're not safe. I'm going to come in here and show you what real terror is like. And a lot of that had to do with the geography. Right? Yeah, I think, you know, reading about serial offenders, you as the reader um, can just assure yourself, well, I've never been in that position um, and that would never happen to me. With this case, you know, these people are targeted in their own homes, in their beds at night. You can't avoid being in that situation. I think that's what makes this case so terrifying. And I can't tell you how many, every other tweet is about, I mean, the, 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 them, everybody's loving the book, which is amazing. But then every other tweet is, I just had to check the windows. I had to check the doors. Yeah. I had to check the locks. And I swear, lock sales have definitely gone up, or window sales and things. We, we, I, I was, uh, by, my, my wife was reading this, and she's like, we are going to go over the alarm system. Yeah. And we're going to re redo the codes. We're going to change it. Like, it, it makes you, because these people had these state-of-the-art defenses. But, okay, now you just let slip something there that, that is also um, uh, touched on in the book. And, and and also you guys on just on past episodes, you've you've also caught yourselves doing this, which I, f I find fascinating. When you really get into these cases and really get into these killers, there is a part of you that will unwillingly kind of go, and that was really diabolical and brilliant. What? He, and then you got to go, but he's a piece of shit. Like, and 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 Michelle talks about that a lot in the book. Of these cops, they will start talking about him, and she describes it as. It, it's the sensation of you find yourself talking way too long about an ex to, to, to your new boyfriend or girlfriend, and then you go, but but fuck him. I, that don't think I because you know, they look at you like I think you're still in, you know. So there's that moment of you have to, but to catch him, you have to acknowledge that that was a very brilliant yeah. thing, you know. Like, have you ever? Like done that as well, like talking. Jeez, oh god, that was not tonight. <laughs> well, I think that that to speak to that that part, and you and I actually talked about this because um, it was when Michelle had told you this piece, and so it was before a show at Largo. It was like we're standing backstage, and you're like, "Oh, I to tell you this thing about how he used to go into the house early and then hide stuff, and then I'll tell you after," and then walked away. Where I was like, "You can't do that. Yeah. What's happening?" Um, but basically, the person, the person who would, uh, what kind of person would be able to stake out a house for months and months, revisit it, break into it when the family's not there, hide things, hide weapons, or all of those things where it's levels of, uh, again, like you don't want to use the word dedication. You don't want to use respectful words, yes. but at the same time, it's. <laughs> It's it's not the average like somebody that yeah that's and killed Michelle by said he this guy wasn't a genius he just practiced a lot mm -hmm. 
And he, you know, it's like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours of practice oh, okay. well, to get to an expert. And then we which, drag Gladwell which, into which this. I, which I know a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> but, um, but that's what this guy does, did was he just constantly, he probably went out every night. He didn't do, he didn't attack every night, but he really was doing an early version of parkour, jumping around and doing all this stuff. Yeah. And the thing of um, making dogs like know him. Oh, God. Fuck, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, give him treats so, calming him down so when, what the when you're fuck? reading a book and that's one of the reasons why this book has been has resonated so much is that when you're reading the most famous serial killer in history is jack the ripper when you're reading jack the ripper there is such a detachment not only because it happened a long time ago but it's like well i'm not a i'm not a street walker it's never going to happen to me same thing street with, walker yeah same thing with arthur Sharcross. Yeah. same thing with yeah. joel ripkin you read those things oh that's not going to happen to me i'm even, not a cockney or <laughs> Or even Son of Sam. It's like, oh, I don't make out with people in, in, on Lover's Lanes. That's okay. But everybody Speak for sleeps. Yourself. <laughs> everybody sleeps in their house. You know? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. That's why this resonates with everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, ju- uh, the, I just remembered the one where it's the teenage girl who hears something outside her window. And because they were talking about how pale he was um, in the, I think it's the earlier Visalia, that guy, mm-hmm. the ransacker. Mm-hmm part um and a girl hears the noise outside her window and then looks down and sees uh like a moon looking thing and then realizes it's a face looking up at her in the bushes and then the way michelle describes it is he um skitters away like a lizard or something like that where i was just like i'm very upset right now like this is it's so it's a person who has is basically dedicating his life to be to being as upsetting and evil yeah. and horrifying as possible. Explain e- that to me. <laughs> well, even yeah, you're right. Even if he's not killing someone, if he, it's almost like he's designed his life around. Even if I'm seen, I want it to be unsettling, and I want to haunt people and and shake up any feeling of safety or normalcy. I want to be something in someone's field of vision that then they can never look at the world completely the same way again. That's what. That it's like because it, like it, it feels like someone going. I cannot make my mark any other way, so I'll do it through horror. Mm-hmm. I'll just do it through sheer horror. Oh, do you guys have a theory about what his job was? Because I got really convinced about the fact that he was in the military or special forces when there was a special forces guy. It's because in the book it said that, so I was like, "Me too." This is my theory. But it was the thing of the patience, the um, like how how somebody could sit inside bushes for mm. six hours and just wait that it's yeah. a special training. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, he was generally described as having had like shoulder length hair. So he would have been active military at that time. He may have been in the military at some point or a military enthusiast. Um, but during that period, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about his occupation. Um, and, uh, it's like, you know, medical, uh, construction, painting, re- realty, um, you know, any theory's game, but is there anything you like though? No, no, the they all kind of cancel each other out for me. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. really. I mean, we tr- we try to take a look at. There's so many. There's so many clues that are out there, and there are some that we know are definitely his, and then there are some that yeah, that we we're not sure of. Like, say, the homework, the General Custer homework. So the homework. we yeah. So so or the map, <laughs> uh, the, the hand drawn map. The so map. we don't know what. We don't know if those are his or not. I don't. I tend not to focus on those just because you can really go down some, some rabbit holes, uh, which Michelle certainly gone down. I mean, I've looked at so many different maps trying to match up that hand drawn map to uh, to different locations and neighborhoods. 
But we know that there are certain things like the paint flecks or, or whatever that he left behind and the idea that he did know a lot about these neighborhoods. I don't think he was military. I would veer more towards somebody who maybe wanted to be military at some point, security guardish. Um, Michelle would always say, always look to the handyman. Yep, always, always look at the handyman. The handyman. <laughs> she, she basically ruined True Detective by episode three. That's true. It's the handyman. I'm good. Turn it off. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's sort of where I'm going is more along those lines. Somebody that maybe wanted to be in, in the military or police but couldn't quite get it. And aside from the DNA, the Painflex have been really the only forensic evidence um, that's been of any value, and it's not been linked to any particular industry or company. So ultimately, it's been useless. Um, you know, in terms of, like, what he's done for a living, like Paul Holes, who's the investigator in Contra Costa, is convinced that he worked in, like, landscape landscape architecture or construction. Um you know, some of the other investigators feel he would be somebody of like you know lower class, sort of a marginal person. But if that were the case, I think he would have stood out more in the neighborhoods that he prowled. And um, you know he didn't. Um, descriptions of suspicious people are just kind of like guys that were there, were like five nine, you know, dressed in windbreakers, you know, very average looking people. Um, so I don't know whoever he was, he he blended in in these kind of middle upper middle class neighborhoods. And of the sketches. You know, we've gone through the yearbooks of, of like the rancher yearbooks and, and everything. And everybody had that haircut, yeah. sort of feathered back haircut. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at him, going, "That's him, that's him." That's Except him. people in the military. Except people in the military. Yeah, yeah. but you know, so Slay they majors and that and that particular like, you know, we get a lot of people sending photos of their fathers or, or stepdads and say, "Hey, this is my stepdad, and this is look at the picture of him here. I bet he was the one." Or a lot of those the, the pictures, them zooming in on pictures from that town hall meeting and saying, "Look at that, he was there." And things. Yeah. You, you get a lot of tips with people doing like side by sides, and that's a good way to filter out like the worthless ones because the sketches are really just I don't know. I, I don't think even the more reliable composites from this case uh, are of very limited value. I mean, there's somebody's interpretation of somebody's description. Well, well some, somebody wearing a mask for the most part. And the way they don't compare to each other. Right. That drives me crazy yeah. is I always look at what is, is the three or four that they usually put up together. Mm -hmm. And it's like, these are fucking three different dudes. Like right. their features, they, the, the, the part of the hair. There's one guy that has like an extremely side part. And then the other guy has full on Sean Cassidy hair. Yeah. It's just you said you you went to, to to high school in Sacramento or college. Well, I flunked out of college in Sacramento. That's oh, the way. Okay. I, that's how I like to say it. But were there were was there were there traces of this crime? Did people ever talk about it? Was it still in the air while you're there? Or they, no, it, it, they moved just on. the bad vibes. Okay. Well, um, that's just Sacramento, though. Yeah, exactly. That, that was just that's a, how an that was the asphalt friend. burning off in yeah. the 197 degree weather. No, but it, um, I never heard anybody talk about that. But in uh, in reading this book, there's that one part where he, the East Area rapist, was operating, and there was it was it three other rapists that were also operating yeah. at the same the time. The early bird rapist, the early morning rapist, the woolly rapist. Um, yeah, the seventies were like a uh, green ground for serial offenders. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, it was not. It, it, I, th I remember one time Michelle tweeted, "Hey, was your name Gary? And did you drive a van in the seventies? You weren't alone." Because <laughs> she was going through all these files, which is like there's a guy named Gary in a van. Like that's the symbol of seventies should be a guy named Gary with a van. Yeah. That's the seventies in California. Yeah. But but you moved to Irvine when you, so did you yeah. have a weird well you said some <laughs> so, thing uh, well I think 
that everyone's and I've seen a lot of tweets of like, is everyone pretty sure they're like weird coworker, older coworker is the Golden State Killer? Yes. Okay. Because I'm doing that too with like. I've gotten a lot of the the face the stepfather Facebook messages. Yeah. Uh, my stepfather was a piece of shit. So I'm pretty sure he was I'm like, dude. I, I I feel bad for you. I doubt he was a multiple murderer. <laughs> But fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, here's how I know my dad wasn't it. <laughs> so we moved to Irvine. The first uh, uh, attack and murder happened in Irvine in 81, which is when we moved there. And then the other one was in 86. And I asked my parents about it. And my mom was just like, whatever. Uh, and so 86 was when my parents divorced. So we were like solo in, in my mom's house, which is like, and you were cool with that? Because I know we didn't lock the doors at night. But my dad, I asked him, do you remember that? And he's like, yeah, I remember that when 86, when that happened. It was really hard to get a date at the time. Because <laughs> women were like, wouldn't go home with you. And I was like, cool, dad. Wow. Thanks. On top of all the other awful things he did, yeah. he made the single scene in Irvine a nightmare. Let's not forget the way he impacted romance. <laughs> Let's all pour out a little for the fern bars that yeah. where nothing really happened. Could not wear that members only jacket. Yeah. But yeah, they were, and, and I, I love the, the part of the book where she talks about how, you know, D, DNA and familiar uh, ancestral DNA, uh, you know, makes um, uh, Tom Hanks would be a suspect right. Yeah, right. based on, on the description. And then she said, the, the, the filming schedule of Bosom Buddies. That alone is what... Uh, although, we I remember, I'm going to drop a name here, but we had uh, dinner, she and I had dinner with Steve Martin. Um, yeah, about... I, I, uh, well, just as she was beginning to work on the book, and she was talking about, you know, writing it, and then she... This is before she wrote that book, but she said, oh, by the way, you know, based on... Ancestral DNA, like Tom Hanks, could be a suspect. But of course, the shooting schedule of Bosom Buddies exonerates him. And then Steve went, Does it? <laughs> Which I was so brilliant. It would be an amazing reveal. I mean, it would I be. Mean. Come on. That's the. Oh. It'd be fun. Mm-hmm. It'd be fun. Should we open it up for questions? Or what? Do you have, did you have guys have any other questions? Or. Who, who did it? <laughs> Could I mean, someone one, just come the, forward? You know, one of the well, great things about this this book being so successful is that somebody that I made I made a decision very early on in my career not to do any solved murders. I only do unsolved crimes for 15 years. That's 15 years of writing stories with no endings. Nobody really ever wants to hear those. I mean, eventually they, they're okay for like a 5,000 word story in a, in, a, in a magazine or something. But as far as a book or a TV show, no, they want they want the ending. And for this to, it, nobody has really been upset with, hey, there's no ending on this thing. I think everybody really wants to, to be a part of it. I think, I think it's going to be solved within the next five years. I do. Well, and I think maybe part of that also has to do with um, the progression of the digital age, social media, and podcasting. Um, people who love true crime, they want to solve it. Mm-hmm. So there yep. is a part of it where, I mean, I read that book and then I'm just like, if I could just connect yeah. Visalia. <laughs> and, that, you know, it's that feeling where since the answer is out there, mm-hmm. that there's the possibility. It, I think there is an engagement. It's like Absolutely. That. No, we've definitely gone into the, nobody wants to be a spectator anymore in true crime. Everybody wants to be a participant. And yeah. the ultimate yeah. participant would be to solve a murder. Even more than that, the Grand Slam home run would be to solve this one. Yeah. I think, though, also, like, on a level of, I mean, I have no, I, I do not, I know I'm not going to solve this one. I'm good. Come on. <laughs> you don't but know? I, I kind of understand this, like, you know, when she's writing about, um, when she's talking about 
you know, late at night writing in her daughter's room and all, you know, the obsession. I think that these us as true crime and, you know, obsessives understand just wanting to know more and know more. And when it's an unsolved crime, there's just an infinite amount of information to know and to connect. And it's, it's just fulfilling in this, in your crazy brain and your anxiety riddled brain that you, you can, that together we can all figure this out and that we can all know. Yeah. And it's just really but I think that's fulfilling. Tr- that it's true. Yeah. It is actually true. Yeah. Um, before we open it up for questions, do you, are any new, um, any new developments or updates you can share or want to? If, 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 if you don't want to, that's cool. But. Well, there's a couple of things that, that had come out since we, we shipped the book. One of them was the, uh, that he had stolen China. A uh, very particular brand of China, and apparently people used to put China in like these plastic bags. Like they were. They were, they were I remember my mom would do that. I remember that yeah. those, those zipper things. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. He would take them, and he actually took all the China. Um, we had not known that uh, before, so they had put that out. That's a, a new clue. We've done our own thing where um, uh, one of the techniques that I do, I use social media to help police departments around the country solve stuff. And I saw the. Um, okay. We're looking for people that were of that age, that were in Sacramento, that aren't there anymore, that are in on the East Coast or on, uh, you know, we got, we've gotten some people. And a lot of times when you put stuff out there, you know, like, like when you said that people are writing to you saying my stepdad did it, you have to be, you can't just be, no, you're an idiot. You know, right. you have to be, you're almost like a counselor and be like, yeah. oh, wow, that's really horrible. Well, I a lot send of times that stuff there's abuse to you because I, I cannot deal with yeah. this. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, we, we got one woman who said that she had encountered him and, um, you know, she wasn't, I, I don't think she was lying. I think she definitely was telling the truth, whether it was him or not is another, is another matter, but that is something that we took her name we gave it off to the um i I interviewed her and then we gave it off to uh, one of the detectives that could lead to something because there could be a police report that noticed a car and then they could trace the car or something like that that was not in any of our any of michelle's three thousand five hundred documents we did not have that woman's name so that was something that she did do a police report but it wasn't in any of our stuff so there's a lot of stuff that could have fallen through the cracks that's one of them that you know, fingers crossed could lead to something. And, you know, with an offender like this, the, the first rape is, is probably not his first rape. It's probably not his first offense. I mean, these offenders have years of paraphilic activity like prowling and, and burglaries. And, uh, you know, the Ransacker series was the obvious candidate, I think, as a starting point. But I, I just don't feel it's the same offender. I think there are too many discrepancies in terms of behavior and physical description. And uh, Ken Clark in Sacramento has identified uh, two burglary series um, in Rancho Cordova, which is where the series formally began. Um, burglary series dating back to 1972 um, that that feel very much like this offender, more so than the Ransacker series. So, you know, that, that suggests some origin in that area, which, you know, I think geography for me is, is one of the big, you know, clues. Um, and together with, like, the, the forensics, the, the genealogy, I think geography is one of like the very few paths to solving the case. I was reading in the the ransacker part mm-hmm. um, because, of course, I was like, the ransacker is the East Area rapist, <laughs> is the Golden State Killer. But um, in the part where they were describing the, his body, then I be- started this fantasy of he left Visalia knowing like the uh, the cops were hot on his tail, and then started doing like a Biggest Loser style. <laughs> I'm gonna change. I am going to change my physical appearance, tan up. Right. You know what I mean? Get a little sun, and um, like start doing parkour style exercises. You know what I mean? Wow. Like the the idea of that. I was like, well, that's a possibility. You know? Yeah. Yes, yeah. maybe he didn't match directly, but what if he did try to change himself? Well. 
Holes has argued that they're just two fundamentally different body types. Like one's an endomorph, one's an ectomorph. Um, but also the ransacker, when confronted, behaved in a very conspicuous way, consistently. The ear, when confronted, just kind of was like, hey, how's it going? And would leave the area. Wouldn't, you know, uh, and the ransacker was almost like uh, bizarre in his behavior. The um, screaming and the... Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> Don't hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> How creepy. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in-network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Well, uh, let's open it up for questions for a little bit out there. Uh, I'll let you guys moderate. Yeah. Yes, hi. Hi. Uh, what are your thoughts on the accomplice theory? Oh. Is there an accomplice theory? You know, there's, there's no evidence across, like, 55 crimes. There's no actual physical evidence of an accomplice. He, he would pretend there was, but there's no evidence <laughs> to substantiate that there was, so I, I don't feel he had one. Oh, it's like a classic, like, I've called the cops, kind of, they're coming, but there's no one really there. Right. Exactly. He would talk to, like, you know, and then he would whisper back and... There's a, are you like maybe referencing, was it the, um, like the janitor at the school that saw the two guys in the matching windbreakers? 
Is that what oh, you mean? Uh, no. Talking about when he, when the victims were blindfolded, would overhear him speaking to someone, like this in the van, um, and it sounded like there was somebody there with him, but they didn't know if that was just a tactic to throw them off. Yeah, and the first attack, the victim heard him whispering to someone, and in that instance, oh. he, he intimated that he was there with his girlfriend, but I, I think it was just a charade. There was yeah. no evidence that he had anyone with him. He, he was he was doing different voices. We know he was doing the clenched teeth voice, you know, kill, kill, you know and then, but he was also doing other ones, too. I think that was just a ruse. He would pretend to be a junkie. He would pretend to be, uh, you know, mentally ill. Um, he would pretend he would adopt like Mexican accents and German accents, and you know he was like. <laughs> but but and now <laughs> I have to argue because out. didn't the ransacker do that when he for, when that cop first stopped him and he acted he did he, the Oki accent? Uh, well, I don't know that he was. I, I think he was consistently described as having had that accent. Oh. But he did. He did. <laughs> he, he did pretend to have an accomplice on numerous occasions. Maybe so. he was an actor. Yeah. Okay. The paint is from Tom painting Hanks. his play. Let, oh my <laughs> god. We're back oh to Hanks. Oh my God, we're back to Hanks. <laughs> it all comes back. I say we look at everyone who didn't get SNL when they were because he had like three characters right there. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I was really struck by the moment when Michelle's voice in the book ends almost like in mid paragraph, and then it was it was very kind of moving to move on to the next chapter and have you guys picking the story up. Um, can you talk a bit about the professional relationship you developed with her? I was working with Michelle prior to the book being sold. So we had, <clears throat> we had corresponded since, I think, 2011. Um, and, you know, we were sort of like investigative partners. I mean, she would share leads with me. I would share leads with her. And uh, I saw her maybe three or four times a month. Um, and, I mean, you know, her death was shocking to me. She wasn't ill. It wasn't something that was the farthest thing from my mind. So it was very difficult for me to process. And um, um, I think that there was sort of a blueprint in terms of how she wanted the book structured. Um, but it was just, everything was just interrupted. She left an interrupted work, interrupted research. And so I think it was a challenge to, to yeah. sort through that. And also, I mean, you, you... I mean, that was the first thing I thought of. You know, I knew everybody else would be thinking of, obviously, think of Patton and think of Alice. I thought, the first thing I thought of, this fucking guy won. And then I thought, fuck this guy. And I was like, I'm going to do everything I can. You know, um, no matter what, I'm going to do everything I can to get this out. Because I'd want somebody to do that for, for there's two reasons. One, I'd want somebody to do that for me if I, if I was doing it. And two, I constantly was, was egging her on to finish the book because we had other projects that we wanted to do. You know, we were doing yeah. a podcast um, called the Shadow Pulp Radio Hour, which was like uh, this thing that, um, you know, we would, we would get one call per, per podcast. And it was from Frank from Burbank. And Frank from Burbank actually was was Patton from Los Feliz. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for that. But, and, yeah, yeah. and then we were, do, we, were, we were, you know, we did a, a panel at South by Southwest called Solving Murders of Social Media. And we want, and it was just, you know, we had some other projects that we really wanted to do, but she, she just, she stopped everything and said, I want to focus on this. And we would yeah. go to lunch once a month and then she would talk about, about the case and I would talk about my cases and everything. But, you know, it was, it was, good to have something to do you know we we had all this stuff there and it was like all right well what, what do we do with this and how do we structure it and the idea that you know she didn't write about every crime she wasn't ever going to write about every crime i mean that's a lot it's 49 rapes is 12 murders at least but we weren't going to write in her voice that couldn't happen because she's no. such a damn good writer and she's such an intimidating writer too because i didn't write at all myself while we were working on it then when i went back to write every sentence i write um 
I look, I look at it, and when I look at it again, I'm like, damn, that's not good enough. And then I go back and I try to make it good enough just because I just worked on a book when, when this woman was just so good at two things that I thought I used to be a good combination of, which was a good writer and a good researcher. And she was, honestly, I think she was the best one in true crime. And the yeah. success of the book is bittersweet in her absence. And once this offender is identified, I mean, that excitement will be kind of tempered by the fact that Michelle never learned his identity. Yeah, it, it really, it, it was really terrifying to when she died because, it, you know, it, grief te- feels like terror. It feels like fear. But then also, yeah, knowing that this was this thing that she was so obsessed with and so focused on. And so to, to on top of the grief was going to be this. So I, you know, I, I didn't have that determined moment that you had. I had the just reaching out to everyone I could, her publisher, these guys, and just begging, could somebody help me? finish this book and and I decided very early on when I read because she would you know have me read early chapters that I, I knew immediately oh there's no way we can pick up the writing and finish it so it ends where it ends because if we had picked it up you would have seen very clearly oh that's where Michelle stopped writing and that's where these guys you know, see if you can figure out where Clapton stopped playing <laughs> and this yeah. the kid with a day of ukulele training but yeah no we I think I can pick out the exact note. So, you know, and uh, yeah, so that, that and, and there's also, it was very bittersweet for me because having the book done is another thing where it's another part of her that's kind of gone, like in a very sick way, not having the book done and us working on it meant she was still here and having that, that and then if he is caught, yeah, that'll be very bittersweet. She'll never, but that'll be another part of her gone. And so there's that. You know, there was a lot of push-pull uh, for me. And then, but then finding that the letter to the old man, which is the coda at the end of the yes. book, it was almost like, holy shit, this is so perfect that she's actually taught, you know, all this stuff is done and she's gone and she's really speaking from another place. It was now, a way to sort to of guy. close it was like, an interrupted arc. It was so yeah. ridiculous. Then I saw that. It was almost precious. Yeah, we were so happy that we found that. And, and you, if you want to, I mean, Harper Collins put out a three-episode podcast about the book. You can download it anywhere you get podcasts. But her, you know, there are recordings and interviews with her where she's talking about the process of writing the book and investigating the crime. You can hear her voice and how she, you know, would, would try to puzzle. I mean, she was a very very unique personality and so if you if you want to listen to if you want to hear her voice for real it's on those it's on that three episode podcast that's out there but yeah it it, it is a you know there's again uh, to quite quote james elroy there's no such thing as closure there's just yeah. no closure well i remember when you sent me the oak park chapter yes. um and i was really scared to read it because it's that thing of any um, one of your friends when they're like do you want to read my script and you're like sure uh-oh because it, it could you know what i mean like no, you, no, i get it yeah you, you don't want it to be you and anyway i read it and it i and i just couldn't stop sobbing when it was over because it was that amazing thing of someone is gone but they have left this amazing body of work that actually like I went into her life I went into her teenage bedroom you know I mean and with her as the guide uh couldn't stop thinking about what you know like her mom reading that chapter and everything about that was just so fucking magnificent that it was just like thank god and then I, I remember texting you and being like what's going to happen with the book and i wanted to say like do you want me to help you but i really did not want to say <laughs> yeah. that at all yeah, yeah. and you texted back like we've got these great guys and i was like great 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 perfect awesome yeah, yeah. let me i don't want to be yeah 
I, I didn't want to be involved. I knew that I couldn't because it was hard enough for me just to read the writing. So well, thank God we were, you guys when stepped up. we were up putting it together, we would send Pat and stuff, and we knew Pat needed time. So Pat and we, I mean, there were there were a couple months when you, especially getting through the summer. Oh, I, you, I you couldn't. You couldn't do anything over the summer because Alice was out of school and everything. Mm-hmm. So. But I also, I couldn't sit down and read it because I would read a couple of pages and I would lose my shit and because it was because her voice was right there she was right there like i wanted it it was i remember one time i was i was visiting my parents this back in virginia down in the basement in my dad's office and i'm reading and i wanted to go upstairs there was a second where i wanted to go upstairs and tell her that one paragraph was because so, in my mind she's just right up there because her voice is right there and i just stopped myself and then it all it hit me all over again like so it just you know it was a very very hard difficult process but also so. it, it now there's it's like there is this living document. It, there's yes. it, there's something very alive about this book, and very, you know, sometimes when you're writing, uh, you get you want to be fancy. You want to put something on and be like, everyone's gonna love this great idea, and uh-huh. it actually distances you. It, she is right fucking there on that page. So it's like there is a magic to. There's a lot of people that talk about writing books all the time. The fact that there is so much. It's such an amazing book, and it. It does exist. Like it's not the thing she wanted to get done. Right. That's yeah. that's kind of incredible yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. So. My Jesus consultant on the show. She seems like such a kindred spirit in a true crime all my life. But I have a question about that uh, that infamous town hall meeting where the, the guys you know real braggado show about right. how he would protect his wife. Uh, do you know for sure that that famous photo is from that? It's not. it's not. Okay. And, and that and that town hall. What? All the work <laughs> I did. No, no, no. Uh, Believe me, we, yeah. we we stopped telling people even that that's not, yeah because it's just everybody did all that work. And oh. it's, it's yeah. That that town hall in which that gentleman spoke up actually took place before the stereotypist began attacking couples. So he wouldn't have actually said I would protect my wife. Uh, he was just getting into it with the uh, with the cops. Uh, and that town hall took place before. The uh, the media blackout was lifted. So oh my God. Um, the the so that that was in I think November of seventy six, and that couple was attacked I think in May of seventy seven. So it was some months later. So yeah. do you guys think it was a coincidence? I, it, I, Michelle believed it may have been. Yeah, yeah. That's such a bummer. That, that's not, I'm sorry, but I'm only going off when she first found out that information and told me she thought it was specifically, but she she didn't have all the details at the right. time. So yeah. That's the story she told me, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. That's so it's yeah. a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. then you're, you're then you get out a magnifying glass and you start looking, and if it comes, you know, you're, you're, looking, you're looking for the shooter on the grassy knoll. You're looking at so pixels get, things now. Things get yeah. mistold, and you know, like you have this apocryphal version of the story, um, and it's only when you sort of see the files that you realize that well, that was actually another blind alley. You know, yeah. it's, it's what these guys say: always check the files <laughs> when you can check the files. Uh-huh. It's one of the one of the catchphrases. It's of the what I always say, which was the murderer was at that exact picture, <laughs> and I know it. He's he in took there. the picture for everybody, which was nice. Yeah. Um, so just so I understand, you guys did the research, but is the writing all Michelle? All Michelle. All Michelle. They wrote a section in the back, the third section, and it says by um, Billy Jensen and Paul Haynes, where they talk about geographic profiling and DNA and then I wrote a very brief afterward by says by me but the book is all her writing we didn't add or and, and there's even like and you know this is this this is 
from notes that she, you know, yeah. it's, but it's not us. Our, our fingerprints are not on any of this stuff. It's her writing. Sort of like, you know, when they reconstruct like an old, reconstruct an old silent movie and they don't have all the footage and they use stills. Uh, it's the same principle. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there were parts in there where there was a part that was missing that we would go into her and her, we would go into her emails and even her emails were, were, were written in a way that are not just like the regular schlub writes an email like you and I do. They're written <laughs> yeah. in a way that were really great. And, yeah. Uh, you know, there was like, oh, we can we can put that over here, and it was very much like that. But you know, she wasn't writing it linearly; she was very much writing it in, in these chapters, and it was a matter of how are we going to put the chapters together to make it cohesive, and then you know, filling in those blanks with what she had, and she certainly had a lot because we had access to her hardware. Have you sold movie rights? Um, that we're not really ta talking about that right now. That, that there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air, but I don't really. I, we're right now. It's in a stage where I can't really talk about it. So yeah, yes. Um, I want to ask you. We go back to what you're saying about Zodiac, Zodiac book, and James Elroy. Right. Uh, how, how did Michelle and how do you two avoid like turning into Jake Gyllenhaal and Zodiac? Were you giving up your whole life to this and getting pulled into that obsession that happens with so many detectives? It happens to a lot of people. At these well, I mean, you know, you, you approach it because you are a professional. You've been doing this professionally so you do keep that distance for it. I mean I think with Michelle unfortunately you know not to sound morbid I don't think she successfully avoided being completely pulled in by this in the very end you know there was a lot of sleeplessness and insomnia and you know I mean it didn't it didn't make her she, she was still very much a, a mom and a wife and a and a friend but this the the further she got into this it, it was it was clear that she had a real shot at solving this and that can be a that can be some fatal bait you know that can really pull you into some depths that you can't get yourself back out of yeah and you know with me it's it's really a numbers game there's there's 15,000 murders in America 5,000 go unsolved which is an insane number when you think about it so that means there's 215,000 murders that are unsolved since 1980 i can't I, I can't get obsessed with just one you know so i'm constantly working i'm working 20 or 25 right now and even that's just such a small drop in the bucket I was just surrendering to my obsessions. I'm not a very pragmatic person. So. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very graceful way to put that. Wow. Well, I want to do one more question. One more? Yeah. Okay. You had mentioned social media crime solving. There was a TV show recently that got canceled, um, Wisdom of the Crowd, but I'm just wondering, is there any such... Platforms there, yeah, yeah. Coming? No, there definitely there definitely is. Uh, I work a lot, and I've written a lot of stories about that about regular people trying to solve uh, solve crimes. The um, there's a there's a site called Web Sleuths, which some of you might know uh, that you can go on, and um, people are discussing crimes. Uh, you can go on certainly Facebook. A lot of people will will discuss certain crimes on Facebook on Facebook groups. The biggest thing that you have to and also Reddit. The biggest thing you have to do is not name names. If you don't name names, then then you're okay. It's when you start naming names or saying it's the what about this guy syndrome where you go, what about this guy? And then you have a, a link to a Facebook profile. That's where you get into trouble. So I really do think, and I'm a big proponent of crowd solving, and I think that that it can work as long as it's it's done the right way. And one of that is just making sure that you don't name names. Hey, can I ask one question before we end this? So I happened to be going up the street to the movie, stopped in, saw the book in the window, grabbed it, haven't read it yet. And I'm a little frightened about this. This, this type of genre is not really something I'm attracted to. And I'm a little afraid to read it. 
Because I don't want to be like stay awake at night. Read it during the day at a coffee shop. Yeah, read it. Read it. Read it in the day. Don't read it at night. And and I'm not saying that that's not cheap hyperbole. If if you're if that's how you feel, I would. And I've had friends who've who've written me that said I had to stop reading it and I waited till the daytime. Especially the audiobook, I've had friends make the mistake of listening to it alone at night. That is a huge mistake. That's me. Read it when you're out hiking in the sunshine with friends and dogs around. But yeah, read it in the daytime. To me, that's almost I would. creepier. <laughs> yeah. When I, I listen to it and and doing it during the day and hiking and it, it makes everything surreal. It's the same thing of like li- listening to what was playing on the radio when you're driving through oh, the t- it's the same oh, like it yeah. makes everything feel like a like a David Lynch movie mm-hmm. but yeah yeah um, reading is a David Lynch movie it is it kind of is it really is well that's where we're living we're living in a badly written David Lynch <laughs> movie right now we're not, we're not even one of the good ones we're in, we're in Inland Empire no we're, we're like, oh, Sorry, we Let's don't. Let's not get negative. <laughs> don't name names. Yeah, don't name names. Um, I want to say, as a fangirl, a longtime fangirl of Michelle, how much you guys finishing this book, all three of you. And I know it's hard because it's you know an ending. It just it's such a lovely thing to have. I, it's on my nightstand. It's in my phone, and it's I'm gonna read it and reread it constantly. And it just it means a lot that you guys finished it. And I know it's hard, but. They finished it. Yeah, Thank great Dylan. job, you guys. Oh. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I think that's it. Thanks, and and thank you, Georgia Hardstock and Karen Kilgariff from My Favorite Murder. On the, I'm telling you, there are mur- how many murderinos are here tonight? Wow. Yeah. They are. Well, sorry, but but the entire Portland crowd were murderinos. <laughs> it was all murderinos. It's crazy. Let's uh let's give one more round of applause for our my favorite murder, Penn, Fillion, and uh, Paul for finishing this book. Um, it was a pleasure to have you guys.